The Daily Rios episode 515, Smallville season 3, part 3. Hey everyone, this is your host Peter. Week 11 of the Daily Smallville, covering episodes 11 through 16. These episodes are entitled Delete, Hereafter, Velocity, Obsession, Resurrection, and Crisis. General thoughts on this run of episodes, they're fairly enjoyable, even if they are just average and slightly above average. Nothing great. There are some really great moments, but no great episodes in this batch. I feel like at least for these first 16 episodes of season three, I don't really see anything that carries through all of the episodes in terms of larger themes or dynamics. It all seems to be smaller moments or smaller storylines, but it all feels very temporary and not as connected as season one and season two. In both of those seasons, I could really, you know, kind of talk about the larger themes and what's going on and how Clark develops from episode one to the last episode. Um, in this season, you know, we have uh, Pa Kent's deal with Jor-El, Lana and Clark still pushing each other, uh, pushing away from each other or focusing on other partners. And Lex is still in the background, but honestly, I feel like even his story has kind of wavered throughout this season. So it's a season so far of some smaller story points here and there, but it's the first one, the first season that I don't really get an overview. There's nothing I can kind of say about this one. So maybe when I watch the final six episodes, maybe I'll have something to say, but It doesn't mean that the season is bad. I'm not saying that. Um, And I feel like by the middle of of the season, you know, I'm kind of digging it for what it is. Um, I still think season one is my favorite. I don't think any season has, has dipped in quality. Now, there might be some episodes that I don't really like. And season three is really guilty of having some not so good episodes. Overall, still, you know, still a good show. Um, for what I'm trying to do with the Daily Smallville, Season 3 isn't helping me. We are starting to get some questions for Season 3 that I don't know if they're going to answer by the end, such as, will we ever see Smallville 1961 again with Jor-El on planet Earth? Uh, this notion about Lana, Lana's wonderlust, where she m- thinks maybe she should move away from Smallville. That was like in one or two of the early episodes, but we haven't seen that Uh, The notion that Lionel is going pure evil, yes, that is definitely continuing on this season. And we do get an answer to uh, what's been going on with Lionel and with this experiment with Clark's blood and the reason why. We get that within these six episodes. Okay, well, let's jump in episode by episode. Remember, I'm not giving you full synopsis reports on this, just... You know, quick, what is this episode about? And then uh, hitting some larger thoughts and maybe some smaller thoughts per episode. So we start out with Delete, 
which I gave about a 3.5, just barely above average. Uh, average for me means, you know, you can, you can watch it and get maybe a little something out of it. Um, it's not quite skippable unless I say it is. So 3.5 for delete. People are out to kill Chloe after receiving email messages, which rewires their brain, and which leads back to a character named Molly Griggs, codenamed Brainwave, who is trying to end Chloe because of an article she was going to write about the Summerholt Institute and Dr. Gardner, if you remember them from the Season 2 episode of Ryan. Also in this episode, uh, this is where Lana decides to rent out the apartment above the Talon to Adam. So it's the first time we see the Talon apartment, which, you know, is kind of like another location within the Smallville universe. Now, initially, I was super worried about this episode because it is written by Souders and Peterson, who are not my favorite writing team. But while the episode is a little shaky here and there and still relies a bit on appealing to the primetime soap opera emotionality that they seem to like, it was enjoyable to watch. It was really enjoyable to watch. Uh, you know, the writers remembered that that the show is Smallville first and, and not a genre second. Um, definitely helps that the actors are more grounded by this time. They deliver the script in a believable way, even though there's a couple moments where I was like, hmm... You know, like with Clark, there was a, a scene with Clark that I was like, I don't think the writers really captured who Clark was here. Uh, I do, th- I, I did. I was pleasantly surprised by this episode and I did enjoy it. Not to mention, it was an episode that did not have a focus on Lana, which most of their episodes uh, have always seemed to focus on Lana and some new dark secret or some new person that was in love with her. Um, so this character of Molly... She was played by Missy Peregrine, who is on the show Heroes. She wasn't all that engaging. I didn't really find the quote-unquote, you know, villain of the week to be all that interesting. For me, the biggest moment is what happens because of this villain. So she's trying to get everybody to kill Chloe, and the second person she entraps is Lana. And we get this great Lana versus Chloe fight inside Smallville High, and in many ways, almost like watching Dynasty, right, to go back to that primetime soap opera thing, it oddly felt like this was a long time coming, like like we built up to this moment, even if Lana is, you know, uh, under a spell or, or brainwashed. So they have this really great fight. Now, the amount that they fight all of the kicking and the punching and the smashing into walls, they come out of it with hardly any injuries or any visible injuries. But the feel of it, the idea of it, I was I was definitely sold. And uh, especially when Chloe finally decides to fight back and she, she cracks Lana in this slow motion turn down the staircase. It's well filmed. It's well timed. And I said to myself, okay, you know that Chloe has been meaning to do that for at least three seasons. So it's good. And I I think I think it's the first real hand-to-hand fight of this length anyway that's been on the show. I don't think Clark has even had a fight like this. Now, Pa and Clark at the top of the ep- uh, top of the season, 
They rumbled, but that felt more like a wrestling brawl. This was a fight. The other reason I really like this fight is because it involved Adam. So last episode, when I covered Smallville week number 10, I hinted at this notion that this new character, Adam Knight, was somehow a Batman-esque or Bruce Wayne-esque character. So his name is Adam Knight, Adam as in Adam West, Knight as in Dark Knight. He's an orphan. He uh, he knows martial arts. He's very smart in things that, you know, maybe he shouldn't be smart in. Uh, you know, Ian Summerhold, the Summerholder, the, the actor, has these killer eyebrows. He wears the number 27 on his shirt in his first appearance, like Detective Comics number 27, which is the first appearance of Batman. So in my mind, as I was watching this when it was first running on TV, I was like, this is this is Bruce Wayne. They're bringing Bruce Wayne into the show. Now, the producers have since revealed over the years that they had no intention of this being Bruce Wayne, but they certainly were teasing viewers. And in this fight, especially when I watched it for the first time when it first aired, and even now, you know, this is the first time Adam, we see Adam fight, and he has skills, and he's going up against Lana. Now, you know, Lana's not a great martial artist, but this fight certainly made all these characters seem like they were ninjas. Um, I was like, yes, this, it has to be Bruce Wayne. He's, he's traveling through Smallville on his training session, you know. Now, obviously, that's not the way they went. That's not what they intended, but the tease is there. And this fight was like one more little tease uh, that I was just like, oh, come on. If they're bringing Bruce Wayne to Smallville, that's going to be great. So Adam gets into the middle of the fight. He eventually meets Clark. Um, You know, this whole notion of Lana and Clark growing away from each other, possibly meeting other people. He's used as a character for that. And he's also used for other things, which comes to an end um, by the time we get to episode 16, which is the last episode I'm going to cover in uh, this chunk. Now, this particular episode, this delete episode, came out in January of 2004. Kind of crazy to think that in the fall of 2004, we get the beginning of Lost which Ian Summerholder is in, and also Evangeline Lilly, who has been making uh, background appearances in Smallville. Just some smaller thoughts about this episode. The prologue of this episode gives us the first look into the Daily Planet, actually inside, not just outside, because Chloe has been working there, and Lionel has pulled the plug on her job. So she, she leaves. It definitely has kind of like a Superman the movie vibe. And her editor is Max Taylor, which is a familiar name if you know your Golden Age Superman Daily Star uh, trivia or, or history. That character's name was George Taylor. So this is Max Taylor. Now don't get too attached to Max because he bites it in this episode. And one of the last stories that Chloe has been working on, she uh, wants to run it, but she has to run it under a pseudonym. So she says, all right, um, use Lois Lane. She's my cousin. She's not interested in journalism at all. So there you go. The Lois Lane name is used for the first time. This is not the first reference to Chloe's cousin, 
although I guess the creators and, and fan sites uh, have noted that this is the first time she says my cousin and really means Lois Lane. Apparently, I guess, I don't know, for some reason, some of the other mentions, the character, her cousin, quote unquote cousin, was too old to be Lois Lane or what? I don't know. I don't care. Whenever she says my cousin, it's Lois Lane in my mind. The other thing with Chloe, her and Clark come to a truce again and he asks her to stop digging again will it happen i don't know but at least for now in these six episodes okay we're sort of back to being friends again and at the end of the episode lex uh is going to blackmail dr garner and he wants to use dr garner to get back seven what is it seven weeks of memories i think it is i don't think it's seven months i I think it's seven weeks um which includes you know some of his time on the island when he saw Clark use his powers. So that's a subplot that begins, but is quickly forgotten about, at least in terms of the episodes uh, I watched up to now. So maybe the final six episodes of season three, we might get back to that story, but it was kind of odd that this was near the end of this episode and we don't see it again, at least in this chunk. So once again, for a Souders-Peterson episode, it was quite enjoyable. All right, let's go to Hereafter, episode 12. I gave this a four. This is one of the highest scores of this chunk. So we're introduced to Jordan Cross, a kryptonite monster of the week, but he's on the side of the good, uh, who can foresee the deaths of anyone that touches him. Clark is able to alter the path of some of these immediate deaths along the way, which brings Clark up against destiny, uh, especially when he saves a Smallville coach who had just recently lost his daughter and was trying to kill himself, only to later blame Lana and some other girl on the death of his daughter. And once again, Lana's life is in peril. Clark has to save the day. The cult, the coach does ultimately die, and Jordan loses, loses his powers, but not his memories, although I don't think we ever see him again. Now, there's a lot to like in this episode. Again, smaller beats, if not the larger story. When it comes to Jordan's powers and his visions, two things came to mind. Um, The Unbreakable movie, which had come out in the year 2000. Uh, The way people touch Jordan, and, and then there's this like musical hit and a flash to his vision. It feels exactly like the design that they used for David Dunn in Unbreakable. And then the visions that he has, so the very one of the first ones he has, he sees Lana as an old woman dying peacefully in bed with her kryptonite necklace, although the kryptonite is gone, right? Because by this point, um, there is no more kryptonite in that necklace. Someone is standing next to her. We don't ever really see who that is. But the whole way that it's shot and the kind of um, wash of light that they put over it reminded me of the finale for Six Feet Under, which doesn't come out, you know, for another two, three years after this episode. And I, I just wanted to say, oh my God, they totally ripped off Smallville. Everything is going back to Smallville. I love it. So these flashes of visions that he's getting, especially if they involve like a later time, are pretty cool. So of course, of course, he has one about Clark, 
but it's not a death. In fact, it doesn't feel like an ending at all. So uh, later on in the episode, Jordan says to Clark, it's like you don't have an end. It's like you live forever. So the vision that we see is this, well, it's this redness, this red flowing material, which turns out to be Superman's cape. You can even see the yellow emblem on the back of the cape that he usually wears. Um, He's flying into space. It's almost like he's flying so fast that he's going into like subspace or through a wormhole. And he winds up and all you see is this, I don't know, this galaxy, this other galaxy, this, this, you know, array of stars and light, um, you know, is, and I wrote here, is it, is it another galaxy? It is it the hereafter? What is it? But it makes it seem like he's going to live forever. You, and if you connect that all the way back to season one in the episode Hourglass, there was a character named Cassandra and she touched Clark's hand and the vision was, Clark in the middle of all these tombstones of all of his loved ones who had died and he even says something like it was like I was the only one left so again this is kind of like the second if not third notion that you know in the Superman mythos he's gonna live forever so I thought that was just a, a really great moment and you know there's some kind of talk about Clark being uh, a person that can disrupt these visions, that can disrupt destiny, um, and and that makes him special. Uh, and destiny is a word that we throw around a lot. So I appreciated that. It doesn't hit home as strong as I wanted it to, but it is there. We get a little bit more with Adam here. He's starting to act weird around Lana. And Jordan says to Lana, you know, I think he was able to see his future or maybe he didn't see his future. And he says, I think it's because he already died. So, you know, little mystery there. Another small bit uh, in Act 4, Pa Kent says that he can relate to Jordan's dad uh, in having a son that has a special gift. So Jordan's dad really wants to keep Jordan at home, doesn't want him to be out. And Pa Kent is like, you know what? I get that. I get that notion of wanting to hide him away and shelter Clark from anything. And Pa Kent says, I sure as hell wanted to, but it was Martha that convinced him. And I thought, hmm, you know, there it is, that theme again about, you know, not wanting wanting to hide your son from the world, um, maybe in a way that's overprotective and in a way that... Pa Kent doesn't trust what the world is going to do to his son. So uh, a theme that is not new to the Superman universe. Man of Steel did not invent that. It has been around for a while. Clark does talk about his, his destiny a little bit at the end. He says, is that why I'm here to change destiny? And Ma Kent says, look, you can't save everybody. And again, as, as I just said, the Kents understand Clark's responsibility and also understands that he can't be allowed to be swamped by it. And I feel like that's the point of this dialogue, right? Like we love those stories. People love those stories about Superman saving hundreds of people a day, but there's probably a thousand more that he can't save. And he knows that and he, and he can't be tortured by it because then he'll never do his job 
or he'll try to do his job so well that he'll become a dictator or he'll just be meddling into the affairs of everybody. In fact, I think they even did that in the comics where there was a month um, where Superman showed up in like every DC title and it and it was getting a little overbearing. Um, I seem to remember that in the Devin Grayson, Mark Buckingham Titans run, probably like in issue number two or three, it was early on. So, you know, the comics have toyed with that notion of like a Superman that never sleeps. Uh, and it can't happen. It just can't happen. So somewhere in his mind and somewhere in his growing up, yes, he knows he can't save everybody. He has to, if you want to think of it this way, he has to allow, allow that some people are going to die. So now, just when you think this episode is over, just when you think I'm done with this episode, it gives us a killer ending, no pun intended. Um, this isn't a season finale. It's not even like a mid-season winter or spring finale. But Clark walks into the barn and Pa Kent is lying on the floor with a heart attack. And he says, not now, not yet. And I right, I got chills. I really did get chills because you, I knew this was coming. I just didn't know where. Um, but this is the deal, right? This is Jor-El's deal coming back. Um, and I, I was even thinking as I was watching this episode that the scene between Clark and Martha that precedes this, I was like, oh, wow, that's a really nice scene. That's something they usually have between Clark and Pa. But now you now I know why, because they were setting us up for this ending. And there's Clark cradling his dad and he's calling out for help, which is something you just don't see, right? Like you just don't see Clark being the one calling for help. So very stark ending, really good. It got me and it helped to just make this episode uh, really stand out. So yeah, great ending. Episode 13, Velocity. I gave this a three... Point five. Pete Ross is caught up in some kryptonite-fueled drag racing, which gets Clark involved. And in order to get Pete out of his mess, Clark has to go against a lot of things he believes in. He has to lie. He has to steal. He has to cheat. He's not happy about it. And meanwhile, things are getting even worse with Adam. Pete hasn't been seen much this season, and when he when he is, it's not for a big reason. So it's kind of, you know, frustrating that when we do get a Pete-centric episode, it's Pete doing something, you know, kind of illegal. Um, ultimately, it is a story about Pete's admiration for Clark and Clark's abilities and Pete wanting to get a taste of that, you know. It could even be a little bit about the burden that Pete has in carrying Clark's secret. Ultimately, it is a bridge episode it gets us a little further into the Adam storyline and it gives Pete something to do. But ultimately, you know, that's why it's like kind of like an average score for me because I don't expect there to be a lot of follow up. Um, but the last two acts were pretty good. When it comes to the conflict, when it comes to Pete trying to ask Clark for help and Clark kind of being annoyed by it and having to do all these things, and they have several conversations and several debates, I I feel like both of them are right. Although I, I don't know, you know, some of the way that Clark admonishes Pete for what he's doing, 
feels a little uh, like, I don't know, I, I, I kind of side with Pete. Even at the end, when everything, you know, works out, quote unquote, Clark is not happy with everything that he had to do. He had to steal a car. He didn't have to steal a car. This, this is my problem. He says he lied, he cheated, he stole. He steals a car from Lex. He didn't have to steal that car from Lex. I thought Clark was actually just as sloppy in this episode in the way that he was going about things, uh, kind of like Pete was. So in a way, it kind of was showing both of them if maybe they just would have come together or I don't know. I don't think Clark was right at the end. And so Clark isn't happy. He kind of brushes Pete off. Um, and I guess, you know, if you want to look at it this way, like Pete did lie. Pete has been lying for Clark and covering up for Clark. But what Clark is doing is not in the pursuit of fame or glory. Whereas in this episode, what Pete is doing, what he's asking Clark to do is because Pete was trying to do this other thing to kind of live up to what Clark is doing. And, it, and he got in over his head. So that's what the difference, that's where the difference is. And at the end, Pete says, I will never disrespect your powers again. So I don't know. I really saw both sides by the end. Maybe it's because, you know, this, this show is 20 years later. And um, uh, I can, the writers might have wanted you to really side with Clark at the end, but as I'm watching it and I think about the history of these two characters, I don't know, there's something about it that I'm like, Clark, I think you got, I think you went a little too hard at the end there. Now, there is an interesting moment in one of their debates that kind of brings up the whole uh, idea of what Superman stands for um, because Pete is so desperate. Uh, to get Clark's help um, because he's being blackmailed by, um, you know, this the, one of the promoters of the drag race. He says, look, I know you're not going to kill him, meaning he knows that Clark is not just going to go kill this guy for Pete. And I thought, wow, that's a really cool perception that Pete has of Clark's morality because we don't get a lot of conversations in Smallville about killing or not killing. It might come up once or twice, and you certainly can tell by Clark's actions that it's not something he wants to do ever. Um, but for them to dip into that, for, for Pete to kind of just lay it out there, I, I, I enjoyed that. Some other notions here. This episode oddly doesn't, it, it does connect to the cliffhanger of last episode, but not a lot. Uh, pa Kent is alive. We knew that. Um, Clark is right on him and says, look, I know this is because of the deal you made with Jor-El. The human body wasn't meant to house all of that power and strength that he gave you to corral me back from Metropolis at the beginning of the season. And later in the episode, in Act 5, the two of them have another conversation and Pa Kent says, look, things aren't always black and white. Sometimes you have to wander out in the gray and... Pa was trying to suggest that, you know, even though Clark did what he did to help Pete, that sometimes that is, that's a choice that you have to make. And then he also talks about his deal with Jor-El, that yes, maybe his physical stuff has to do with that. Of course it does. Um, uh, and then he keeps going. He says, you're going to have to make choices in your life, moral choices, that she and I will never have to make. When that time comes, you'll do what you think is best. 
And I just thought that was great because, you know, the Kents aren't a monolith. They're not like, you know, at least in this show, they're not the, they're not held up to perfection. They understand that Clark is different. And even with everything that they give him and everything that they want him to be, they know that his journey is his alone and and that Clark is his own man. So love all that. Love all that dialogue. So the stuff with Adam, Lana confronts Adam about being uh, about dying before. He used to be someone named Chad Nash. He's acting weird. There's, you know, shots between Lana and Adam where like the lighting goes red. Uh, Chloe and Lex are trying to dig up stuff and it all goes back to Dr. Tang, the blood, the vial of blood from Clark, um, the Morgan Edge episodes. Uh, this is the complete turn for Adam. And by this point, I was like, okay, you can, if if you were watching this for the first time and you didn't know what was going on and you thought it was Bruce Wayne, clearly not Bruce Wayne, because uh, it just all is kind of going a total different direction and kind of quickly too. I think the writers even said at one point, when they realized they were using Adam as kind of like a love interest for Lana, they quickly changed gears to try to incorporate this other storyline. And I don't know if they always meant that from the beginning or if it was like a complete left turn, but this episode is the turn. It's odd, it's whatever, but it's going to help to wrap up a bunch of uh, loose plots. Okay, episode 14, Obsession. This got a four. This is actually my favorite episode of this bunch. Clark is forced to use his powers in front of another classmate who, surprise, surprise, also has powers, teleportation powers. So the two of them strike up a bond, but of course it goes wrong because this is Smallville. And the character of Alicia is revealed to be uh, too controlling of Clark and her parents and then revealed to be a little too teen slasher-esque when she goes after Lana Lang. Um, we get more into Adam with the reveal that, yes, Lionel is the one behind all this. Uh, and it's an interesting episode because I really enjoyed it, but there have been other episodes like this that were off. Usually it's a reverse, right? Usually it's someone going after Lana, some kryptonite monster of the week who has a crush on Lana, Clark has to save the day. The problem is in those episodes, it's either not written well or the stalkers are not that good of an, they're not, just not good actors. And I start to get frustrated because it just doesn't, the believability isn't there. This one, whether it's because Alicia is played by Sarah Carter or the episode is directed by James Marshall, who, who really is probably one of the best uh, directors for Smallville. It's paced well. The acting is well. The acting is comfortable. There are some interesting uses of the camera. For instance, there's this one scene uh, in, I think it's in Act 1, between Clark and Alicia as they're walking to school. It's over a minute long. It's a complete take, one take. And it goes from outside the school to inside the school. And it's just good because you get a long scene out of two actors without any edits. And you you feel the pace. You feel the, the growth of it, right? Even when you're watching 
a scene that feels like it's one take, but it has multiple edits, the dialogue might flow. You close your eyes and the dialogue will flow. But because of that edit, your eye jumps with it. This one, I don't know, just there was another moment too later on where I was like, this is really good. Like it's well directed and well shot. So I think that's the difference of why I liked this kind of episode. Um, but just don't, I, you know, I'm not usually a fan of when it happens to Lana. For instance, the same writer also wrote, I think, uh, let's see, it's Holly Harold, also wrote Magnetic, which was a scene, an episode where, was it in season three? I think it was, where a character likes Lana and every time he touches her, puts her under his sway, but he's not really a good episode, a good actor and it wasn't directed as well. So good episode, good acting. Um, it's nice to see Clark with someone other than Lana and not being a puppy and not being, you know, unrequited love. Like the two of these characters can open up to each other. Um, now, eventually, as I said, she goes teen slasher. And at the end, it's Alicia versus Lana with Lana for some reason not defending herself. And Alicia says to Lana that Clark refu- revealed things to her that he could never say to Lana, which again goes back to the two of them, you know, Clark and Lana having this back and forth status quo. Um, Lana's never going to be happy about that. So, uh, And then there's a conversation with Martha and Clark at the end where Clark says, you know, for a while I thought that person was Lana, someone that he could trust. But then he says, but I could never really be honest with her. And then I thought it was Alicia because she was like me. Martha says, there's nobody like you. And Clark says, maybe that means I'll always be alone. Now, on one hand, it's a reflection in a way to the conversation that Lana had with Clark in one of the previous episodes where she says, look, one day I'm going to have to move on. And that has kind of shown shown up, like with Magnetic, with Adam Knight, For me, though, on the other hand, this is where I wrote in my notes, this show is screaming for Lois to show up. Because if you're going to keep pushing Lana and Clark away from each other, and you have these lines that Clark realizes he can't be honest with her, then you have to bring in somebody else. Somebody that he's willing to fight for. Somebody Somebody that he's willing to struggle with do I tell her or do I not watching these episodes it's so weird how Smallville uh has has this idea that Clark and Lana were this big long couple or whatever but they really weren't in season one Clark had the hots for Lana and he was bumbling all over himself then in season two it started to get shared They come together in season three, they're together, but they're only together for like two, three episodes and then that's it. And then we're back to this whole like, okay, don't come near me, Clark, because I'll die and maybe we aren't meant for each other and oh, I can't tell her the truth. So where else do you go? You're not going to go with Chloe. You already saw that trying to to hit it off with another superpowered being didn't go so hot. So it's, it's Lois, the next logical step is Lois. And I know that that's what happens, obviously, you know, in the, in the very next season, I think. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to the Clark and Lana thing ending. Um, okay. And like I said, yeah, we know that Lionel's behind Adam 
And he's doing it all just to get close so that Adam gets close to Lana and then in turn gets clo close to Clark. But now Lionel wants him dead. Okay, episode 15, Resurrection, another 3.5 episode. While his father is awaiting surgery, Clark runs into a classmate named Garrett, whose brother Vince has just died, and uh, but then suddenly shows up alive until his liver starts failing. So in an attempt to keep Vince alive, Garrett straps a kryptonite bomb to himself he wants, he demands a liver transplant, and the only other person in the hospital that maybe Garrett in his craziness thinks that can help is Pa Kent. So, of course, Clark has to save the day, and um, at the end, uh, this character Garrett gets shot. And we learned that the whole reason why Vince was brought back in the first place is because Lionel is continuing his tests with that vial of blood, but not with Adam. Now he's starting to just collect dead bodies from the Smallville hospital. So in the prologue, Pa Ken is told, look, you had, a, you had a heart attack, the next time could be fatal. And I wrote here, you know, this is kind of setting up Pa Kent's death, which if you're a longtime Superman fan, you know that's part of the origin, you know that's part of the journey along the way. Even when Byrne brought back the Kents in the 80s, eventually Pa Kent died. So if that's his ultimate fate and you're someone who knows the Superman mythos, it's kind of like a cruel tease. It's like, okay, we know he's going to die. We already had that one cliffhanger. When's the next one going to drop? Um, Clark takes the news that Pa Ken has to have surgery pretty hard. He's afraid of losing his dad. But he is the one that says you have to get the surgery. He'd be lost without him. And Pa says, uh, don't worry about me, son. I I'm not going anywhere. Now, there's been talk about Jor-El, but we haven't heard from him this whole season. There's like been nothing about the caves, right? I think the caves haven't been talked about. Jor-El, the key, the talisman, the, the locket of memories, like all that stuff, all that pseudo Superman origin stuff has been kind of pushed away for a little bit. Later in Act 3, Pa says to Martha, about Clark, when he's ready, you have to let him go. And that felt like that scene in Superman the movie where Clark is like, you know, I have to go north. And Ma at one point is like, um, you know, I knew this time would come. You know, we always knew. I just thought that was great. That's a nice little callback to that first movie. So by now, there's a lot of stuff going on with Adam and the blood and Dr. Tang and Lex and Chloe are helping out. Um, I feel like if Lana would have just told Clark about Adam a while ago, maybe none of this would have none of this would have come up, uh, especially with the next episode. If we had any doubts about the blood, uh, Clark brings a vial of it, you know, the medicine that they made out of the blood to help Vince. But when his when Garrett holds it. He's holding the vial near his kryptonite bomb, and you can see the blood boil. So clearly, yes, it is Clark's blood. Um, and Clark has a has a thing at the end. He's like, look, if my blood can help save people, why shouldn't we use it? I almost wondered if they were going to tie that into Pa Kent. Like, could they give a transfer to Pa to maybe help his heart? Um, 
but they didn't go that route. It just gives them evidence that, yes, Lionel is behind all this. They can't really go to the police because if they did, it would reveal everything about Clark. Um, and Pa says to him, you're going to save a lot of lives in this world. You save my life every day that you are with us. So we get a nice little wrap up to, to this episode, um, even though it was sort of like an average episode. Which brings us to episode 16, Crisis. I gave this a 3.75. You know, it's slightly above average, still not a great episode, but pretty good. This is the mid-spring break. And then, you know, they're, they're off for like maybe a couple weeks and then we get the final six episodes. So Clark receives a phone call from the future where he hears Lana being shot. We learn uh, the truth about why Lionel has been pursuing these experiments with Adam. The whole Adam thing wraps up, which is great. And in the fallout of all of the deaths caused by Adam, uh, Lex is framed but offers to help take down his father in exchange for immunity. It is another Souders and Peterson episode, not as polished as the one that kicked off this batch of episodes. You know, it's it's the perfect episode for them because it's like a, a crime of passion. Adam is going after Lana. Um, you know, they love to write high melodrama like that. The plus in this episode is that the entire cast is used. All the Kents, Pete, Chloe, Lex, Lana, Lionel, everybody is used. And they're used for the story. It's not like there are two to three different plots running uh, along the same path, but not connected. Everything's connected. I loved that. With the phone call from the future, of course, Kryptonite is involved because in Smallville, Kryptonite can do anything. You know, the episode is called Crisis, so there's got to be time travel somehow, right? With Adam, uh, Lex all of a sudden wants to be put in charge of the project that created him, which makes Lionel panic. He wants to shut everything down. In the process, Dr. Tang no longer wants to be involved. She tries to free Adam, but it backfires. She dies. Adam winds up killing the other scientists. Clark and Lex team up with each other. They sift through the mess and... Uh, that little part of their relationship is interesting. They haven't had many scenes um, in this uh, batch of episodes. A few here and there, but nothing to really quantify their their journey and their connection. Um, but there's one episode, there's one scene in this episode where it's almost like they they they're like, okay, just tell me everything you know. Lex knows that Clark knows things. Clark knows that Lex knows things, but they're not trying to find out the truth about each other. They're just trying to find out enough information about this situation. So it's really interesting. It's like the two of them stepping closer to the secrets, but not quite, and acknowledging that they both have secrets and that they both know that there are secrets about each other, but they don't, they don't dig into it because they have something else to do. So I thought that was a really great scene. The whole reason Adam is going after Lana is because he thinks she has more of the vials of medicine that he needs. There's a lot of, a lot more injuries to the cast. Chloe, Pa, head traumas everywhere. Lana fights Adam. She gets severely kidney punched. I mean, it's it's abuse by now how much they get hurt. Eventually, Adam dies. He says to Clark, now I know why, why Lionel sent me to watch you. I couldn't escape him. How long do you think you can? 
And then at the end of the episode, we get the real motive behind all this. We know Lionel was involved. Now we know why. So there was a phone call that Lionel had in one of the earlier episodes that I made comment of. I was like, hmm, I wonder what that was about. Well, turns out that Lionel is dying of liver disease. So he was hoping the blood would find a cure. He was keeping tabs on Clark just in case. But obviously these experiments are going nowhere. So there's a last scene with opera music, right? Every time something dramatic happens with the Luthers, it's always opera music. He sits down. This is where we learn that he's dying of liver disease, liver disease and pulls out a gun and starts bringing it to his mouth and brings it to the camera. We're watching the gun get closer and closer to the camera. And then the show, the episode ends. And I'm like, wait a minute. Whoa, that's grim. <laughs> that's grim for a show that's being watched by youth. I thought it was a little out of character for Lionel, not going to lie. I liked it, but I also didn't like it. And I want to see how we come out of this. Because that's awfully defeatist of a character that up to this point has, I don't think he's ever shown signs of weakness. We've seen flashes of his sort of cool, uh, manipulative personality disappear, like when he gets enraged or things don't go out his way, but we've never seen him at this point. So I guess that does, that's why it makes it interesting. But I'm like, okay, why? Is it because the writers just wanted a really cool scene? Is he that distraught that he's going to die? What is it? So I guess I'm going to have to wait. Lots of loose ends tied up in this uh, episode. It's not as satisfying as other major episodes. It comes across a little over the top. Um, there's some story movement. We'll just have to see what happens after it. But there's a lot of stuff that just kind of got pushed away that um, I'm like, wow, I sure hope they get back to it in episode 17 through 22, which will be the next episode whenever I get to it. Um, also, I'll probably be covering a few more Smallville comics in that episode. All right, if you're watching these episodes, let me know. Peter at thedailyrios.com or leave a comment on the website. I will respond if you leave a comment on the website. Follow me on Twitter, Peter J. Rios. The Instagram, The Daily Rios. This has been The Daily Rios episode 515 for Friday, August 13th, 2021. Talk to you soon.